everyone. This is Regina. Hi, horse lovers. This is Lynn. This week on the Horse Industry Podcast. Hey, listeners, this is Lynn, and this is an on-the-road episode. I'm at the Color Breed Congress in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I finally get a chance to sit around with David Wiggins, also known as Dr. Dave. If you'll remember, we did a little short video clip from the Paint Horse World show in July, and Dave and I have finally connected. So, Dave, thanks for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. So we're at the Color Breed Congress, so we're going to talk about a lot of topics today, but what is the Color Breed Congress? In my opinion, the Color Breed Congress is kind of the American Pinto Association, the Pinto Horse Show. It's their answer to the Quarter Horse Congress. You don't have to qualify to get here. The best Pintos in the world show up here. Um, just like the Quarter Horse Congress, it's come one, come all. Uh, the fees are not expensive. It's not an elaborate horse show like the world shows may be. They obviously have a Pinto World Show, which is far more elaborate. I think they're more expensive to show at. It's a lot more prestigious, supposedly. I guess my question is, if you won the Quarter Horse Congress, which is more prestigious, to win the Congress or win the world? Gotcha. So can other breeds show here too? Yes, because the what, what Daryl Bilkey has done as the executive director of the Pinto Association, they've called this the Color Breed Congress. So not only do they have Pintos, they have paints, and they have what they call breeding stock or solid bread Pintos, which includes your solid bread quarter horses, includes Appaloosas, uh, Palominos, and it also includes the... Arabs, the spotted Arabs. Oh, nice. And they have a subsidiary kind of off to the side. It's the long-eared division. <laughs> so if you want to walk around here, you'll find some really cool mules and some really cool donkeys. I am definitely going to check that out. So that's pretty exciting and, and good for the associations to continue to pro provide different opportunities for our showmen to get out there and have shows on this scale. So one of the things that I'm going to say is we're recording live in the show arena or in one of the barns. So you're going to hear dogs barking? <laughs> yes, yes. We're in the super, we're in the middle of the super duty barn. So usually when you go to these horse shows, they try to find a, a decent spot or a nice spot to put the horseshoe or the slash farrier so that people, when they lose a shoe, they can find you. Their horse is lame. It stepped on a nail. It's this, it's that. They want to be able to get to you without walking, you know, half a mile. So we're in the middle of the super duty barn here in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the state fairgrounds. But yes, there'll be the announcer's booth, the announcer will go off and he'll like drown us out. There'll be dogs walking here. There'll be dogs. I mean, you, it's a horse show. We might even have to shoe a horse in the middle of this podcast. We hope not. It's a little late in the day. <laughs> now that Yellowstone's coming on in about four hours. <laughs> right. And we're all super pumped about Yellowstone too. But so Dave, I know that you have been for many years, the official farrier of the APHA world. And so here you are then at this show too. So Dave, let's let's talk about how you became Dr. Dave because you're not a PhD. Not even close. I've never I've never claimed to be a veterinarian. I've never claimed to be a, a PhD of any kind. There's always a joke and uh, by the way, are, are this going to be an R-rated podcast or we are we have to keep this we PG We have to keep 13? it PG. We have to keep it PG. Oh, that's terrible. You're killing me. You're killing me. Anyway, what happened was when I got out of the Marine Corps, I became a deputy sheriff. And once I became a deputy sheriff, you could work at nighttime, and then you could shoe horses in the day. So I shot horses in the daytime. I was a deputy sheriff at night. And I finally, I run into a guy, and he said, listen, he said, I'm opening up a business. It's called Florida Veterinarian Supplies. 
and it was Dr. Bill Eunice and Dr. Marianne Kime. And basically what they did was they set up a, a mobile pharmacy. And I ran the mobile pharmacy for almost two years. And the two doctors just didn't get along as good as they should have. We were making at the time, I was making $42,000 a week average on gross. A week? A week gross. And I was Wait, netting. I was when net- I met you, you were poor. Exactly. What did you do with that money? That was right after that. that was what exact- did you do with right- that money? That was right after that. We made you sleep in our truck because Kevin wouldn't let you sleep in our single white trailer on the couch. Exactly. It was right after that. That story will follow. But so anyway, what happened was I was making 19% net and I was being paid half percent of grow, half percent of net. So, I mean, I was rolling in the money. And at that time, I had a, had a lovely wife and some children, and she decided it wasn't as lovely as I did. So I started to go through a divorce. And at the same time, like absolutely simultaneously, like within the same week, I went to work in Tampa to get my paycheck on Friday. And Dr. Bill Eunice said, listen, me and Marianne aren't getting along. She's going to dissolve the company. She's got the drugs. I've got the clients. We're going our separate ways. And I said, Doc, what does that mean for me? And he said, well, what that means for you is if you want to get paid this week, you better go out to that truck and get you some medicine off there that you know is going to pay you because you ain't getting a check today. I'm like, you're kidding me. He's like, no. So I literally went out to the truck, and I'm going to date myself here. I went out and I grabbed the medicines out of there that were, there was a a warmer back then that you had to innovate your horse with. And it was a prescription, and it was called ivermectin. (laughs) So you had to innovate your horse and it was a prescription, and you know there was no such thing as demosedan. Uh, genomycin was for inter- intrauterine use in cattle only. Banamine was brand new to the market. Uh, I mean, just there's so many drugs that we we count on every day this in today's world, and they were just like not even existent back then. So anyway, so I grabbed those drugs and I said, Doc, what do I do? He said, Well, my horseshoe, he uses a, a helper, and he said he could probably use you. And I said, well, I don't know nothing about show horses. I said, the guy you're talking about's name's Jan Suter. And I said, unfortunately, I will, I will say this, Jan Suter, I have to give a lot of props to this guy. He, he taught me everything I knew about show horses, and he passed away two days ago. So yeah, that's I want to give, give a lot of shout yeah, outs to God him. God bless Jan Suter. Yeah. It, was, uh, it, was, it was tough. But so anyway, he said, look, I'll get you hooked up with Jan. You can go to work for him. Well, I went to work for Jan, $50 a day. We worked seven days a week, and I slept on his couch. <laughs> he like you in the house <laughs> exactly in the house so anyway long story short we would go out these jobs some of these horses wouldn't behave or they wouldn't do this they wouldn't do that and i said well i got i got some medicine for him i got some medicine for him well i had some xylazine which back then it was called rompum so i would give him some rompum or a little bit of a uh, torbegesic or whatever and these things would like stand like soldiers well all of a sudden guys like jan were like hey you know and, and he's talking to his friends that were other fellow horseshoers that were very, very good. So you need to take this kid with you, man. He's got, he, he knows things you ain't never seen before. Like, yeah, right. What's this kid going to show us? Like, man, he knows about drugs. You can't believe what he knows about drugs. Wait, I have to ask this question here. <laughs> Can you legally dispense drugs to a horse without being a real veterinarian? Uh, no, you Are cannot. we crossing some lines here? <laughs> Back then, we crossed a lot of lines, a lot of lines. In today's world... The moving forward, what they've decided in most states like Texas and Oklahoma and places like that, where we have a lot of nice horses, there's a handling dose, and the handling dose is administered by the veterinarian to you, the horseshoer. You're only allowed to give the horse that dose with the permission of the owner, trainer, or the caretaker of the horse. 
So it's not like you just willy-nilly walk in there and start giving drugs to horses. It just doesn't happen like that. It has to be prescribed by the veterinarian. It's with everybody's use, and it's called a handling dose for the protection of the horse and the people that are in the general vicinity. Okay, so... Uh, starting pharmaceuticals with horses. Yes, so that was back in the day. So what would happen was you you would show up these places, and then so we went from the given one a sedative to where I went to my little local customer, and their horse, I showed up, and like, this thing got like green snot falling out of its nose. I'm like, it's like sick. And like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, well, when your vet shows up, tell them, give them 10 cc's of genomycin for 10 days in a row. I am. And they're like, okay. Well, then they would talk to their local veterinarian, and the guy would be like, who told you that? That that medicine's for intrauterine use in cattle only. And like, well, I don't know. Well, next thing you know, I got all these veterinarians calling me like, who do you think you are? Who do you think? I said, man, I went to the school. I went to the class that Shering Smith Plow put on. It's an extracurricular use for that drug. If you'll just look it up, trust me, it works. Off-label. Off-label, yes, exactly. That was the term I was looking I, for. I mean, I do work in the medical device <laughs> industry. And right now, you're doing a, you're saying a lot of things that would probably have gotten me fired. Exactly. No doubt about it. But So anyway, so what happened was all of a sudden, and I don't know where I still to this day cannot figure out exactly where it came from, but I got the nickname Dr. Dave. And I thought, okay, so it's Dr. Dave. That's all right. No problem. No problem. Well, it just wouldn't go away. I went to the Laminitis Symposium for Dr. Rick Redden, who is absolutely genius. He's the godfather of Founded Horses. I've learned so much from that guy. You can't even I mean, shout out to him. He's the best there is. But 1992 and 1993, I worked with him at the Laminitis Symposium. And at the same time, when you showed up there, my badge that, you know, instead of saying Dave Wigan, it had this little, like, asterisks on there, Dr. Dave. And all the other horseshoers laughed and they all made fun of me and everything else. And I'm like, okay, it is what it is. It's kind of my nickname. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of this, it's kind of that. Well, over the years, I just never got rid of it. I mean, I just, it was something I never got rid of. And as I look back in history, it was probably the greatest, uh, advertisement gimmick that I never thought of myself. It was just bestowed upon me. Every horseshoer looks the same. Short guy, pretty wide, usually has a mustache, maybe a beard, got some gray hair, you know, drives a pickup truck. It's got a shell on it. He has an anvil. They're all the same. When you say the word Dr. Dave, oh yeah, I know that guy. Oh, I seen him or I seen him there. I mean, so it just became a nickname that I never could get rid of. And if you in- can earn a PhD by hard knocks, I think you've done that. I, I don't know, man. I've been doing this for 30 years. I would like to think so. I've been to, oh, I've been to four shoeing schools, four, four formal shoeing schools. I've been to three different universities for their fair science program. And I am all about education, education, education. I've taught at a couple different universities. Presently, prior to COVID, I would donate my time about 16 hours a year to NCTC there in North Texas. What is NCTC? I don't know what that is. North Texas Community College. Okay. And I would do some work there, basically teach a beginner farrier science program for them. And um, I just like volunteering because I think education's everything. I, I, I just I just think it's what it is. But back to the, the finalization of my story and the Dr. Dave. So in 2000, and I was still working for you and Kevin. So I want to say it was 2002, maybe 2003. Yeah. We came out to the World Show. It was the year that Bubba Hill roped on the real Bud Light horse. <laughs> Bubba. Okay, that was probably that was probably like more like ninety nine or two thousand. That was real Bud Light. Uh, okay, whatever. We it was it was after two thousand somewhere, somewhere so in there after two thousand right after the, the the turn of the the, the millennium so to speak. Turn. Okay. I came. Yeah, back you're from, right. 
I came, right, back yep. from, I came back from the world show and I had $10,000 worth of checks made out to Dr. Dave. Like I had a <laughs> rock star year shoeing horses at the paint world show. And I went to the bank and I'll never forget it. I like walked in there like I'm fat, happy and a rich cat. I mean, like you talk about rich, I was rich, man. I mean, it was rich for Monday morning. I showed up and I went to make this big, large deposit of like 10,300, whatever. This girl looks at me and she goes, well, sir. We can't take this deposit. She goes, these checks are made out to a business, and you don't have a business account. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. That's me. Dr. Dave, that's me. I'm, I'm Dr. Dave. I'm not a business. I'm Dr. Dave. She goes, no, sir. She goes, that'll be a business. She goes, you'll have to have a business account to deposit these checks. And I, like, melted. Like, I had child support due, <laughs> rent due, truck payment. <laughs> I was broke, so broke I couldn't pay attention. And I have all these checks that are... I'm hoping they're all good, but couldn't even deposit them in my account. So I literally spent a month driving around to every nation's bank, depositing two and three checks at a time, trying to get them into my checking account. So (laughs) (laughs) I finally, I went to Jacksonville, Florida, because I shot horses for a guy there who was a draft horse. he He was into the draft horses, Belgium's. And... He, uh, that's another, that, that segues you into the Budweiser Clydesdales because he was a very dear friend of the Bush family and I started working for him and, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think when it was, it was 2000 something rather. Anyway, long story short, he was an attorney. He was an income tax attorney. And I said, Mr. Jim, I said, you're not going to believe this. And he, he listened to my story and he goes, man, he goes, that's easy to fix. I said, yeah, if you can hire a lawyer, he goes, no, man, he goes, be like a woman. I said, what do you mean? He goes, add it to your middle name. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, just add Dr. Dave to your middle name. I said, well, how do you do that? He goes, you give me $110 and I'll make it happen for you. So I said, okay. I shot one horse. I said, I'm not going to bill you for that one, Jim. Because once again, that was a long time ago. So it was $110 to shoe a big horse back then. And I said, what are you going to do? He said, just leave it to me. Next thing I know, I come back five weeks later. He had all this paperwork for me. He said, sign this. I signed it. He goes, I'll send this in. They'll send it to your house. You'll get a signed document that comes back in the mail. I said, what is it, Jim? He said, your legal name now is David, Dr. Dave, Leslie Wigan Jr. I said, you're kidding me. He said, nope, that's your legal name. And I promise you, Lynn Cool, it's literally 20 steps to that GMC pickup truck. And you can go in my briefcase and I'll pull that paper out for you right now. I did not know that story that is awesome so and then from- but i mean so but dave at that point though you're it's a business and now the irs can find you they can find me but the problem is not a business it's me so if you write me a check that says dr dave i can go to the bank and cash it which means if you make a check out i own 2d farms now so if you make a check out to 2d farms which is an, a, a corporation you cannot go to the bank and cash a check made out to 2d farms you can cash a check made out to a person. So Dr. Dave is a person. It's me. It's my nickname. It's a joke. It's, it's, it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me, but it's been the worst thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> All right. I love it. So Dave, you, you're not the typical farrier that if you have a, a horse in your backyard and you need to get your horse trimmed, Dave, you don't do those horses. You have specialized in show horses most of your career. 
since the beginning. And that that comes with working with Jan. Like I said, I, I can't say enough about that guy. And just let's talk about Jan for a minute, though. Jan, he shot a lot of the quarter horses in the yes. quarter horse circuit in Florida. Yes. yes. And, well, not in Florida, but back in the day. You know, we're going back 20 years ago. The Ohio Quarter Horse Association for the Quarter Horse Congress, they hired the 10 best quarter horse shearers in the country. And when I say the 10 best, they hired Jan Suter. They hired Terry Stevers. They hired uh, Danny Teary, uh, Lee Myatt, what they call Termite. They called they Termite. They had uh, uh, Craig Harrison. I mean, the, the best of the best in the quarter horse industry. And, of course, I'm 20-plus years younger than all those guys. But Jan told him, they said, hey, you got to take this kid with you, man. He can show you some shit about that dope. You got I mean, to take this kid with you. <laughs> so at one point in time, they hired the 10 best horse shearers in the pleasure horse industry. Pleasure horses, halter horses, hunter under saddle, that type of thing. And I pulled shoes and clinched for eight of the 10. At the quarter at horse some, con- At the quarter horse congress. At the quarter horse congress. That's and awesome. that's kind of where I got my in in the show horse business. And after doing show horses and quality horses like that, that probably stood there quietly and didn't try to kill you. And people had cared for, I'm like that, that would probably keep you from wanting to do a lot of backyard trims. Yeah. I mean, the, the way the horses behave is one thing. What's what really interested me about the, the show horses is we judge them on how they move. And I, with what I do, good or bad, and trust me, I've done a lot of good and a lot of bad, you can make it better, you can make it worse. So when you say this horse needs to step forward two inches with his left front foot, everybody looks at you like, how are you going to do that? Like, well, that's what I do for a living, brother. Just bring it to me. I'll show you how to get it done. And the, the, the idea of being able to change a horse's movement and make him place higher in a class was just awesome to me. And then right after that came the lameness issue, which means they're going to be a little sore when things happen. And then you have the opportunity to fix a lame one, which is where I have excelled. In today's world, I mean, fast forward almost 30 years. uh, Anybody on this fairgrounds in Tulsa, Oklahoma will tell you, if you have one that limps and it's in his foot, if Dave can't get you to the pen, you can't get to the pen. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of stories that go along with that, and we'll hopefully we can touch on a few of those today. But I guess one of the things that really shoeing has changed so much over the years from like when you first started shoeing for Kevin and I back in the day in Florida, and we put aluminums on the front of everything. And you were telling me the story like the last time that I talked to you about all the trouble that people were having with hawks with their young horses, and how much shoeing has changed over the years to protect those horses, those young horses and their hawks. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, back in the day, there's a lot of things we did back years ago. I, just to, to like finish the little segue of how I actually got into show horses, I worked for Jan Suter, and like I said, as much as I love that guy, he was brutal, man. I mean, absolutely. But if he wasn't, I wouldn't be where I'm at. I mean, I remember one day we were in a barn, and we were going to pull some clips on a horse. Hind shoes, going to pull clips on it. I said, Jan, come on. I said, let me pull. I, I've been practicing. I've been practicing every day. I can pull these clips. I can pull these clips. And I pulled these clips on this shoe, and he watched me. And, I mean, they were good, but, yeah, you probably had to put them on a grinder and get them shaped up a little bit. And this shoe was still hot. And he looked up there, and he looked, and he goes, 
what kind of garbage is this? And he slung that shoe down the alleyway with a pair of tongs. And if you've never tried that before, it's like a boomerang. It will come back and hit you in the head. <laughs> and he threw this thing down the alleyway. He goes, this lady's got a high dollar horse here. and She's not paying for garbage like this. He goes, best thing for you to just get the damn broom and get the sweeping. He goes, shoeing's not your gig. And I was just so, I remember I was so dejected. And it was probably a month later, we went to the Gold Coast which is a big quarter show that they have every January, right over Christmas holidays, right on into January. And it's huge. People from the North all come to get out of the bad weather and everything else. And I remember going there and I was so dejected. I'd worked so hard. And I was like, man, I just, I just, I'm not, just not getting this. I'm just not getting it. And, and I'm, I'm trying to think of the year. I want to say it was 19, oh, 94, 95, maybe, maybe not. Somewhere in there. It sucks to get old. I can just tell you that. Yeah. But anyway... I went to Jan. He said, well, "We're going to go to the we're going to go to the Gold Coast." Da, 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 da. And I said to him, "I said, Jan, I said, um, I just want to tell you something." And he said, "What's that?" I said, um, "I'm giving you my two week notice." And he said, "What do you mean?" And I said, "Well, I'm I'm done trying to do these show horses." I said, "I obviously am too stupid to get it." I said, "You tell me that every day, you know what I mean?" I said, "I'm just not I'm just not that good, I guess." I said, "I'm gonna go back to you know working cows and and doing whatever. I don't know, but I'm not going to shoe show horses anymore." And he goes, "Well," he said. Come out here a minute. So I was okay. So we walk out to the, the warm-up pen there. He looks around. And he says, you see these horses here? And I said, yes, sir. He said, this is the two-year-old pleasure. Three-year-old pleasure. I think it was the, the junior. I think it was a junior. He said, the best pleasure horses in the country are right here in this pen. He said, who's the best horse out here? And I looked around. I said, tall, skinny guy with the white shirt on the bay horse. He goes, yep. He goes, that's Zip Chocolate Chip. Okay, that didn't mean nothing to me. I mean, might have well been, you know, Pinocchio. I didn't, didn't mean shit to me. So he looked at me and he said, who's who's second best? I said, the old man, the white hair right there. He's on that chestnut horse. I said, um, he's number two. He goes, yeah, he's the son of Big Leaguer. So I think well, that's Casey Leaguer. said, those are the two best studs in the country. He said, they're multi-million dollar horses. He said, you found the best two in the pen. He looked at me. He said, well, now, that horse over there, he goes, how are you going to make that horse move like these two over here? And I said, well, I said, I'm going to put them aluminum shoes like we've been putting on the back end. I said, I'll hook his hocks to the floor. He ain't got no place to go but forward. I said, if he, if he does anything else, I said, he'll break his ankles. He'll have to come forward. And I said, we'll put them world racing plates on the front. And I said, he'll quit pedaling up front. He'll stick him in the ground. He'll have to step it forward. And he said, you're right. He said, that's exactly what will happen. He said, how long will he stay sound? I said, he'll stay sound for this horse show. That's all we care about, ain't it? <laughs> he just kind of laughed. And he goes, yeah. He goes, that's pretty much what, we, what we're concerned about. He said, but will he move as good as those other horses that are natural and free going and doing it on their own? I said, no, but I said, I can make him third place. He just kind of <laughs> laughed at me and he goes, you know, he said, you might want to stick around. He said, I think you might be getting this. I said, really? You think so? He looks at me and he says, well, where's the lame horse in this pen? I said, little Bay Philly over there, right front. He goes, you sure it's the right front? I said, well, yeah, I'm sure it's the right front. He goes, well, by God, you ought to. He said, we've got an abscess out of that summit two days ago. He said, you don't even know the horse is just shooing. He said, boy, he said, get back to the truck, man. And I just said, you know what? I said, I think he really likes me. I think I just, I think this is just his way of telling me he likes me. And I said, from there on, I was hooked. Uh, I think Jan would like to hear that story. That's good. A good memory of Jan. Hopefully, Jose will hear it. His son, Jose, is a great horseshoer. Um, wanted to be a reigning trainer, road reigners, road reigners, train reigners, trainer, and just it just didn't come together for him. And now he shoes horses. He took over his dad's business. Great, great horseshoer, young Jose is. Are they still in Florida? Yes, Jose is in Florida, yep. So, Dave, 
at that point, Jan kind of agrees that, you know what, maybe you will make a sure. So that was a turning point for you. A huge turning point, very huge turning point. So how did you move forward with that? Well, I asked him, you know, we went home, we, we did the we did the Gold Coast and the Gulf Coast, you know, like we always do. And I asked him, I said, well, if I'm going to be a show horse, sure, what do I got to do from here? And he looked at me and he said, you know, I'm in my 40s. You're in your 20s. And he said, all these guys you've been wanting to work for and wanting to help, they're my age. He said, and we are the best in the quarter horse industry. He goes, go do the paints. Go do the apps. He goes, go do the yellow horses. He said, they've never seen the type of technology that you'll bring to their business. And he said, not only that, he goes, you can charge as much money as I do. I said, really? He goes, yeah, they've never seen it. They don't know anything about it. And I thought, okay. So that's when I decided, I said, you know what? I'm going to go to my first paint world show, which I want to say was in Lexington, Kentucky. And it was yes. 1992 or 93. Yes. yes. I think, and you guys were there. Yep. Um, I didn't know you at the time, didn't meet you there. But all I wanted to do was just put a shoe on a world champion. God, if I got to shoe a world champion, I thought the world would have came to an end. Um, and I literally, I'll never forget this as long as I live because my friends asked me, they're like, well, dude, do you got horses to shoe there? I said, no, I'm going to go set up and put my, my truck out and pass my cards out. They're like, well, what are you going to do if you don't shoe a bunch of horses? I said, I don't know. It's going to be a long week. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I said, if I don't do something, I said, I got no gas money to get home. And I literally spent like six days sleeping in the Ford Motel <laughs> there at the World Show just because I didn't have any money. And all I wanted to do was just be a, 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 a horse show farrier. I wanted to be the farrier, the guy that was, you know, the, the one you called at the World Show or whatever. I want, That was the guy I wanted to be. <laughs> and uh, I'll just never forget. I slept in the truck for... And now, so what I love about that is that now you are the official farrier of the APHA, and they put you up in a hotel yes, and pay your yes, expenses yes, yes. and guarantee you a certain amount of money yes. to be at that show from the beginning until the end. Good for you, Dave. Yes, I'm yes. so proud probably, of you. I think this is the fifth year. This was the fifth year that I've done this, maybe the sixth. I'm the only horseshoe they've ever hired to do this this deal so i'm very very proud of that i love i love the paint horses the paint horse industry has been so good to me it's just i can't I, I never will be able to thank the paint horse industry enough for what it's done for me and so you started out though because you were living in florida so you started out most with your i mean so after kentucky you came back the kentucky world show you came back to florida and you started meeting some of these paint horse trainers and trying to get an opportunity to shoot some of their horses Yes, and that was an adventure all in itself. They had a huge horse show, and it was it was it was the Dixie Rose Classic or something like it. It was it was a big big horse show, and like it was the creme de la creme for all of the southeastern United States. And they had it at the Equestrian Center there, just in Newberry, Florida, which is just outside of Gainesville. So I remember was I, that the wishbone. I, was that the wishbone? I think no. Kevin Kevin Cool is trying to. He's chime trying to in think here. it's the wishbone. I think the sure. wishbone was in Tampa. 
It doesn't matter. I know the Dixie Rose Classic was in Tampa, so I think he may be right. Don't give him too many props. But, okay. And anyway, this was a huge fraternity. I mean, it was big. There was a lot of horses. They were there, there from all over the country. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, they big time. Piece. Like, I mean, like, everybody that, I mean, yeah. for, we were no, little no, no nobodies at the no point. And big rigs from all over the country it pulled into that show. Yeah, it was huge. So I'm there, and I got my little truck set up, and everything's all good. And here comes this guy. got the glasses on. Looks like, you know, who done it ran. And he goes, hey, he goes, I got this two-year-old. He goes, they tell me you can fix him. And I said, well, what's wrong with him? And he said, well, he just kind of pedals going this way to the left. And I, he said, I just, I just don't like the way he goes up front. And I said, well, is he lame? Nope, he's not lame. I said, well, when was the last time he was shot? He's like, well, it's not been that long ago. I said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, well, I just want you to fix him because I'm telling you. He said, they tell me you can fix him. I said, really? He's like, yeah. So I looked at him. I said, well, trot him down there. Trot him back. And he jogged him around. And I'm like, okay. No problem. They've got this horse. He's got too much toe. He has no heel. He got steel shoes on the front of him. I'm like, this is a no-brainer for me. I'm going to fix this guy's horse, and it's going to be lights out. I mean, I'm going to be a rock star. So <laughs> he brings his horse back, and he said, how long is this going to take you? I said, well, probably, you know, probably, you know, 45 minutes, give or take. And uh, I said, I'll, I'll start. He goes, well, here he goes. I'll leave him with you. And he goes, I got other things to do. I said, whoa, 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 cowboy. I said, I don't shoot two-year-old stud horses by myself. I said, somebody has to hold them. He looks at me and goes, this thing's broke. He said, if it ain't broke, he said, you call me. And I said, I'll come break it. I'm like, what's your name? He said, my name's Kevin Cool. He said, I'm telling you. He said, my horses are broke. I'm like, all righty there, Mr. Kevin Cool. <laughs> I said, your horses are broke. <laughs> little did I know, little did I know, that would be the introduction of, I'm trying to think of the word I would use, besides family, besides friend, besides brother, Besides, I'm trying to think of another word I would come up with. Um, we went through so much together. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly, the no. successes. I oh, mean, oh. no. And that yeah. horse, that horse, was his his registered name was Zippo Patbar. He was a son of Scotch Bar Tommy. Scotch Bar Tommy, And yes, then out of a, a Zippo Pine Bar mare. And, yeah. and they were able to get their registered name of Zippo Patbar. Bought him from, one of our customers bought him from Norman Deshane. And what a fun time we had! I mean, it was one of those things where, like, I'm like, who is this guy? I mean, he thinks he's all that in a bag of chips, man. And I mean, little did I know, like I said, I shod this horse, and I mean, he stood like a soldier. Like you'd have never known he was a stud horse. We're at the horse show. This thing's ground tied, and I mean, I'm grinding shoes around, throwing sparks everywhere. I was like, this horse never flinched, man. And it was all natural. Oh, I mean, it was, that was all. We did not have to use your pharmacy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So Kevin comes back and picks him up. He goes, was he fixed? I'm like, well, yeah, he's fixed. If you can ride him, he's like, well, I can ride him. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the beginning of one of the dearest friendships I've ever had in my whole entire life. You don't get that many. And in, in my life, I think there's, I, there's a bar. And to me, a friendship bar is, okay, there's a couple of different levels. There's the guy you call and you say, listen, man. I'm in jail. I need some bail money. There's a bar there. Then there's a bar that says, hey, and, and it's the next bar up. And it says, hey, man, how'd we get here? <laughs> <laughs> we need some bail money. How'd we get here? <laughs> Kevin, he is at that bar. <laughs> and unfortunately, there's not a bar above that. <laughs> when you have the friend that says, how'd we get here? It's like, you know, but anyway, and I think that Colt went on. He won the three-year-old fraternity, did he not? 
He won the two-year-old, and he he went on to win a lot. But that was just a start, Dave, of you and Kevin had quite a run with pleasure horses and lunge liners and halter horses. I mean, that was there was a few years there where we were top in Florida and and made the finals at the World Show on pleasure horses. And are you all of that herd of youth kids that followed you around and irritated you? We had a whole whole bunch of youth kids. But the thing was, there is. And, you know, people don't realize that because they see you now. They see Kevin now. He's doing some cutting horses. At one time, you and Kevin both were, I mean, when you guys showed up, it's like, okay, that's another person we have to worry about who's going to win the prize. I mean, because you guys didn't bring junk. You came to the World Show to Fort Worth and brought the best horses that were in the country. Now, you may have been fifth. You may have been first. But, I mean, you were people that they looked at that said, hey, by the way, they're the top in the nation. And for me, it was awesome because I was shooing horses for people. They may have been out of Florida. They weren't out of Texas or Oklahoma or California, but they were the best in the nation. So it it launched my career in the paint horse industry that way. Yeah. And I remember seeing you come in the barn and, and Kevin would be like, I don't know what's wrong, but there's something wrong here. It's, it's in this hip or this blah, blah, blah. And you'd be like, okay, it's, it's this. And you just... You just go to fixing it. You would, you were the doc, you doctored it. You figured it out and would get them sound and get them to the show pen for us. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, like about being at that show with Jan Suter and how you looked out at the pen and, and there was a, a lame one or, or you asked, is this horse going to be sound after this show? And you're like, oh, well, maybe not, but we're sound for the show. But you really progressed through that. And ca- and your whole goal now is to keep these horses sound for, I mean, these horses have tough careers. I mean, they're on the road all the time. What's, what's changed? What's changed is the quality of horse, number one. Uh, number two, the mentality has changed because you just can't burn through them like you used to. Years ago, you know, we would get a horse in and I'm like, well, Kevin, that thing don't jog very good. Oh, he goes, you'll, you'll shoot. And he goes, I'll fix it. I'll, I'll make it jog. You know what I mean? In today's world, you don't do that. I mean, you have to have the talent because the horses that have the talent are going to beat you every day of the week. So the horse that has the talent is a better horse to start with. Well, you can't make that horse crippled or he doesn't win. When I was a kid, my grandfather used to always tell me, the lame horse will never run faster than the sound horse. Doesn't matter how they're bred or what they look like, they'll never outrun the sound horse. So what we've learned in our industry is that the horse has to say sound above all else. If he doesn't win, then he doesn't win. You might want to get a better horse, but you can't continually try to mechanically make him. It just doesn't work anymore. And it, it just it's an outdated philosophy, let's put it that way. Dave, do we want to take this podcast and talk a, at all about how the breeding of these horses has changed and that, you know, there's so many people that criticize the way these horses creep down the rail. I think that for a while it was manufactured and more and more it's genetic, it's bred into them. Do we want to touch on that at all today? You know, you really can, because I'm going to tell you something right now. I can show you Broodman, I'm going to flip to the halt horses because they're in the same boat. They're all quarter horses. They're all paints. They come, you know, descendant from the quarter horse. But I'm going to talk about the halt horses just for a second because it, it segues into the pleasure horse. Okay. I can show you broodmares that were injured as weanlings, so they never got to show. Mm-hmm. Okay. But their pedigree said, gosh, 
I'm a broodmare. I really am. This thing has got more muscle, more rip, more grip than you've ever seen in any normal horse in your entire lifetime. And it's never seen steroids a day in its life. It's, it went from a crippled yearling to a broodmare. You'd never give a broodmare steroids or she won't carry a baby for you. Right. So it's never had steroids at all. But at the same time, this thing looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. Same thing with the pleasure horse industry. That horse you guys had, that Kevin rode, he was a freak for one reason. Number one, he would step through his hock and like almost his hind foot would come past the stirrup. We never had that. And, and that, and that time and frame, that didn't exist. That horse's neck, from the base of his neck, it came right out of the middle of his wither, or not, excuse me, came out of the middle of his front feet. Like, how's this horse's neck tied in that low? Well, you'd hear years ago, you'd hear guys, well, I'm going to go in. He's just at the right age. I'm going to knock his head down, knock his head down. What they meant was this horse's neck and shoulders came out at the top at a 45 degree angle, like a good hunter horse would. Mm -hmm. A horse that's going to look at the fence or going to look at a cow or whatever. And he was going to knock it down. Well, nowadays these horses are bred. They can't lift their neck up. Mm -hmm. I mean, their neck comes right out of the middle of their front legs. Right. And because you do hear that, those peanut pushers, look at those. Pe and that's that's natural. That's breeding. That is breeding. Whether you like it or not. And I mean, let, and let's, let's, when you go down that road of, well, that's wrong. That's this. You know what? Is it right or wrong to crop the ears on a Doberman? Is it right or wrong to have a teacup Aussie? Because Aussies were never teacups. They weren't minis. They weren't teacups. They weren't midsize. Australian shepherds were Australian shepherds. Man has made them teacups. Man has made them minis. How about, and hey, I'm a Marine. You know what it takes to have a baby bulldog? To have a United States Marine bulldog. It's a C-section. And the reason why she has to have a C-section, because man has made those dogs that way. Their heads are so big at birth, the dog, the, the bitch, cannot have the baby. They have to be C-sectioned. So, you know, that's a slippery slope you want to go down. It makes sense. I mean, those are great analogies. Great analogies. So some of those folks that are critical on the uh, on the sideline or behind social media should should take a look at that. I mean, it's it's breeding. It's genetics. Things have changed. Yes, they have. I mean, they we, we figured out instead of beating and, and torturing this horse to do what we want it to do, We've bred it to do what yeah. we wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely. And one of, my, one of my best analogies I tell people, I may be good looking, I may be strong, I may be a lot of things. You can throw me in the water and beat me to death. I'll never swim like Michael Phelps. <laughs> <laughs> okay? So the point is, if you bred humans to look like Michael Phelps, they would all be great swimmers. Because yeah. that guy has longer arms, his torso is this, his legs are that. He, guys, the guy's bred to swim. Yeah. Okay. He looks like a fish. Yes. Um, and that's what we've done in the horse business and especially in the pleasure yeah. horse industry. We've bred those horses to move like, whether you like the way they move or you don't like them. I mean, look at the way saddlebreds go. Look at the way walking horses go. Is that, I mean, is that normal? Who knows? But that's what the industry requires. And instead of beating and making those horses do that, like we did 20 years ago, right. we've bred them to do that. Which to right. me is a far, far, far better thing. Yeah, I agree with you there too. And it, just to talk a little bit about different about how you set them up now, as far as shoeing from how we um, put aluminums on them in the past, and how you set them up behind, and and all the trouble, the hock trouble that we were having. How has that changed? How are you, how are you changing the way you shoe horses to protect those hocks? Oh, several things you. 
look for soundness first because you got to remember, we're not taking a horse and making him do something. We're allowing this horse to do what he does naturally. We're trying not to let him hurt himself while he's doing it. Okay. So, and as we talk, I, we're, we're at the horse show. We are at so the horse we're show. We're at the horse show. We have the horse show trailer here. What's going to happen at Dr. Dave's horse show trailer? People there's are going to come get beer. There's going to be beer. There's going to be Bloody Marys. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of drink involved. And one of my dear friends, Dave Weatherman, he's come over and stole a beer. He was one of the guys pitched a, was it a perfect game or a no hitter? At the College World Series. Won the College World Series. Okay, there you go. He was a pitcher at the College World Series. Was that 1921 or what? 20, <laughs> come on, what, 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 what? 79 Weatherman won the College World Series. But anyway, so, and his wife shows. He's just a horse show dad, so to speak, or horse show husband. But anyway, those horses are bred that way and kind of like the baseball thing. You got a kid that really pitches good at 12, you don't let him throw 100 pitches a day. You're going to end up hurting him. He naturally is a great pitcher. You don't need to prove it every day of the week. Well, these horses are bred to be what they are. You don't have to show me every day of the week. So you get them ready for the show then you let them down. You get them ready for the show, then you let them down. You can't play the World Series or the Super Bowl every day. You know what? We just did a podcast where it was a it was a grant that had been provided by the Racehorse Association about bone density and whether you work those colts one day or three days or five days, a little bit of exercise would improve that bone density. You didn't have to pound them into the ground every single day. And I think it's a little bit like that with the pleasure horses too. You don't have to pound them in the ground every single day if they're a natural mover. Correct. I mean, that it's just, it's, it goes back to every other sport you want to think of. And these horses are no different. They're athletes. And the guys and the women that ride them, they're athletes. And it's, it's, it's a, the, the people that have done it the best is the PBR. They, if you go on their website, professional it, bull riders, yeah, PBR. Yes, sir. It's professional. Bull. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, you're killing me. <laughs> what they have done is they taught people in the beginning. No, we're not mean to these animals. This is two athletes coming together. When you talk about these pleasure horses, there's two athletes coming together. If you don't have the horse working for you, you can ride all you want to, man. You're not going nowhere. You're not going nowhere. Nice. That's one of my, that is, that's another topic, another subject. That's one of the jobs that are, you know, is tough for me sometimes when somebody says, well, did you fix this? You know what, lady, if you lope off on the correct lead, we've got it fixed. I said, if you jump off on the wrong lead, there ain't a damn thing I'm going to do for you. <laughs> now, that's, that's a great story. So again, Dave, I mean, you, you are the official farrier of the H- APHA. We're here at the Color Breed Congress. You're shoeing horses, not out of your truck, but out of an airplane. You fly all over the country to shoe horses. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I want to say it was, I don't know, it was been three or four years ago. They did an article. One of the Ferrier magazines did an article. I actually made the most money of any horseshoer in the country out of a rental car. So I literally fly. People say, well, how much do you fly? If you fly a little bit, you'll understand there's levels of flying like, okay, I'm a gold, I'm a this, I'm a platinum, I'm a silver, I'm a yep. whatever. I fly over 100,000 miles a year, which makes me an executive platinum with American Airlines. So you get first class and free drinks. Most all the time, yes. <laughs> Most all the time, yes. That's awesome. So so you land, you get your rental car, you're gone. I mean, this is a a legit 
executive level business for you. You are a uh, this. You have made such a career of this and flying around to all these elite trainers, and you you just must keep equipment at each of their places. Yeah, I've got several people that work for me. Different places I go. I have a what I call like a skeleton shop. So we can't do anything and everything you'd like to do, but it's it's a basic shop and. My shoeing style is SOS, simple, stupid. Keep it simple, stupid. So, uh, you know, I, and th- for example, there's a lady here. She just showed my, my niece showed them showed the mare. Didn't quite sure like she would have liked to seen it done, but she was end up she was reserved today. But the bottom line, the lady said, "You have two flat steel shoes on my horse." I'm like, "Yes, ma'am." She said, "Well, I had him with the other trainer. Had her with the other trainer for over a year." She said. I thought you were expensive at two hundred dollars for two front shoes, but she said they used to charge me three three fifty. But they had Equilox and they had egg bars and they had all this crazy stuff on my horse's feet. I'm like, well, ma'am, I don't know exactly why. I said, there's two flat shoes and there you go. Just write me a check for two hundred. We're done. And the lady was just like so excited, like how how could somebody else have all this hardware on this horse's feet that was not really necessary? Make it, yeah. So you're keeping it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. Exactly. I mean, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's my shoeing style, but back to flying around, I've got a skeleton shop in different places and I fly probably every 10 days, give or take. And that's props to my, we did not introduce, we did not introduce my wife at any point in time. We'll have to get her. She has to be a whole nother podcast. Terry is a blessing to you. She is a mental health therapist. So I have a living. It's so fitting. So, okay. His wife is a mental health therapist. So uh, she is an LCSWS. I don't know what all them letters mean. This means she's pretty good at what she does. But I will tell you this, in the state of Texas... This year, 2021, she was the mental health professional of the year. And she would have to be to be your spouse. Exactly. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. Um, we love you, Terry. We're just, <laughs> exactly. thank God for you. And she loves, she's opened up her own practice now. So she's been an executive director for half a dozen mental health hospitals. We went, and the reason why you never saw her in, in our career of you guys showing horses and me shooing for you, her and I went to high school together. And never dated. Like we were, you know, actively in the FFA and all that. We never dated. And then, twenty years later, I was single. She was single. We met at a class reunion, and that's been twelve, thirteen years ago. And the rest is history. Yep. And it's a, it's a good, it's a good matchup, Dave. Yeah, I need a therapist every day. <laughs> so, in in doing the show horses. It's just, it's a life. It's not a, when you decide I'm a thing, because everybody has a farrier, okay? If you have a horse, you have a farrier, okay? What denotes a guy that says, I'm not just a farrier, I'm a show horse farrier? You eat, sleep, and breathe this. You watch videos. You watch horses. You come to horse shows. You stay late. You're here early. You, you, you do the things to keep these horses going to the next horse show. It, it just, it, I can't, the stories are endless of the times, the hours, the this, the that, that I've done to make horses be right and, 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 and show right. 
Dave, your passion for what you do is so obvious, and it was such a pleasure to sit down with you today and have this conversation. But Dave, we're not done. We're going to sit down in a few minutes and do part two, because Dave, you were a blacksmith for the Budweiser Clydesdales for 20 years, and you know that Regina and I had previously recorded an episode about the Budweiser Clydesdales. So you're going to spend some time with me and give us the inside scoop. So that's our story this week. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to spending more time with you and sharing stories of our industry. See you next week.